Matthew, Mark. Um, if you keep your Bible, hopefully open uh, to the book of Romans, chapter 8. We are uh, in the middle of our study through the book of Romans. And I um, just wanted to, just one maybe brief announcement, uh, just in case you haven't heard or, or whatever. We are going to be at family camp next week, but we will have a service here during the normal uh, time. We just won't have a Sunday school hour. So we would uh, love to have you with us if you're not uh, going to be with uh, some of us at family camp. Um, I would like to take a moment, do something maybe just a little, uh, not odd, but uh, unplanned, uh, which is which is okay to do from time to time. And that is, I'd, I'd like to maybe pray again. I know we have several folks here uh, with us today uh, who um, have made their way north uh, because of the hurricane that is currently hitting the coast. And um, uh, and many of you have family or friends that may be there, uh, may may still be entrenched. And so I just want to pray again for that. Uh, my heart's just kind of heavy for that, as as, as even right now uh, th- there are those that are being affected by that. So let's just pray again before we jump into our study this morning. God, you are sovereign over us. God, you are sovereign over the storms of this life whether they be storms internally or storms outwardly. God, this morning we are just reminded, um, Lord, that there's a potentially disastrous storm that is, even right now, threatening lives and threatening homes and threatening properties. God, we want to pray for safety. We want to pray that you would sustain life. God, we just want to pray that, uh, Lord, you would just you would be with, as Mark prayed, be with the workers. Be with those who have uh, decided to stay. God, sustain their life. God, I pray that in, in the wake of what could be that, Lord, I, I pray that you would even use something so horrific as a hurricane to, to maybe even draw people to yourself. God, I pray for those who are here among us who maybe have come north uh, because of the storm. God, I pray that you would uh, just calm their fears and their anxieties. I can't imagine uh, being away uh, knowing what could be going on. So, God, we just want to join, I'm sure, with many other churches and with many other Christians across our country and just uh, pray for the people of Florida. God, we do thank you for who you are. And God, we thank you most, uh, Lord, for your son, Jesus, who came and died so that we could have fellowship with you. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. So once again, one of the drums that I feel like that I... um, beat as as one of the pastors here is uh, oftentimes when I get up and when I uh, speak with you all that I talk about the the power uh, of a believer Uh, and and many times that really comes across as you know what I see a lot of times is the lack of power in a believer's life and and here as we are getting into uh, the great uh, Romans chapter 8 uh, one of the things that you'll see and one of the things that I hope that you've seen as we have studied this book is that in many ways, this whole book is about power. I mean, in the very first 
chapter of this book, Paul writes about the power of the gospel. And then he takes us through this journey about the power of God that is strong enough to overcome the sin and the alienation and the hopelessness in our lives. The power of God in that. And then we move to this great chapter eight. And what we see in this chapter is truly, truly life changing. And I, I hope that that last week that you you begin to catch a, a little bit of a breath of how life changing this chapter of this great book of Romans could be. But it's truly life changing because as we transition into Romans chapter eight, Paul starts to tell us about the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's work in and through our life. And, and this is just life changing because the Holy Spirit's work in us as believers is to sanctify us. And if you've been with us for, for some time, you'll know that we talk quite a bit about sanctification because the Bible uh, this book of Romans has brought us to this topic of sanctification and the sanctification is the process in a believer's life of becoming more holy. And what we've talked about is that God does not save us. God does not bring us to salvation to leave us the way that we are, but that God brings us to salvation because he has a purpose and a plan for us. And ultimately, that purpose and plan for your life is to glorify God. And the way that we do that is by becoming more and more like His Son. And so whatever age you are this morning, whether you're one of our more seasoned adults, or whether you're one of our uh, younger children that are in, the, in, in with us this morning, I can stand here and firmly tell you that God has a plan and a purpose for your life. And that is, is to become more like his son. And what we see, what we see and what we have seen as we've looked at the book of Romans and what chapter seven tells us is that there's an obstacle to becoming more and more like Jesus. And the obstacle, even in the believer's life to be to living out our purpose and to fulfilling who we are supposed to be is indwelling sin. And we see this in chapter seven. Look just just a minute with me on uh, just two verses in chapter seven and verse 15. If you'll remember, as we worked through these verses, just the struggle uh, that Paul is is bringing up. It says for I am doing for what I'm doing, I do not understand for I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I'm doing the very thing I hate. Then in verse twenty three. But I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. And so what we see, what we see in this book and what Paul brings us to and what we should be aware of is that until we are in heaven. Until we are in heaven, the obstacle that we are facing and that we are overcoming and that we are battling is indwelling sin in our lives. And it's interesting here, Gary brought this up a couple of weeks ago as he preached, that in chapter 7, uh, over 20 times, you have the pronoun I. I, 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 I. And then as Paul transitions 
into telling us how to overcome sin and how to fight sin, we get the introduction. The Holy Spirit's only mentioned one other time in the book of Romans. And then in verse chapter 8, he talks about the Holy Spirit over 20 times. And so what I want you to see this morning, the point of this morning is that we are going to begin to talk about, and we'll take this through several weeks, but we're going to begin to talk about the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives for sanctification. That's the whole purpose of where we are going to be and camp out this morning. And one of the things that you're going to see, one of the keys to sanctification, and one of the things we're going to see that the Holy Spirit does over and over and over again, is that it helps us get our mind right. In fact, let me just read a couple of verses that we're not necessarily covering today. But in verse 5, in verse 5 it tells us, For those who are according to the flesh, notice this, set their minds on things of the flesh. But those who are according to the spirit, set their minds on the things of the spirit. And then again in verse six, for the mindset on flesh is death, but the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. And then notice in verse 18. For I consider, notice that word, what does it mean to consider? It means to think. To set our minds, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that's going to be revealed to us. And then again in verse 28. And we know, we know. So look, Paul is going for our minds and he's telling us that the Holy Spirit, we're going to see that as we go through all these verses in the next couple of months. But we know that God causes all the things to work together for the good of those who are called according to his purpose. And then all of this culminates in chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And then notice this. Do not be conformed to this world. We know this verse, but be transformed by what? By the renewing of your mind. And so as Paul is talking about sanctification, as he is getting to this point in this letter where he's talking about the power of the Christian to overcome sin. And as he's talking about the power of the Holy Spirit in the Christian's life, what you're going to see is that he's talking that something needs to happen in our mind. And and I want to be real careful and say what I'm not saying and what I am saying before we jump into this this morning. What I'm not saying is that our Christian walk or our sanctification is purely an intellectual activity. Uh, A preacher said at one point, um, we are not to know Jesus. Knowing Jesus like we know Abraham Lincoln doesn't save us. Does that make sense? All of us know facts about Abraham Lincoln. So I'm not saying, I'm not saying that this is purely an intellectual activity. What I am saying is that this process happens in the mind and it affects our will. It affects our emotions. And it is vital. And it captures all of us. And this is the, what we will see this morning is the Holy Spirit's role. So I, I want to I get through some, uh, some kind of background stuff and then jump into this morning how the Holy Spirit helps us in our sanctification. How the Holy Spirit helps us to fight and to overcome the indwelling sin in our life. And you've got to see two things right off the bat. And so let's read uh, uh, Romans 8, 1 and 2. 
There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, remember last week that I said when we were going through this verse that there is now, therefore, no condemnation, that that now has two meanings. One of the meanings is, is that now that Jesus has come and died on the cross, there is no condemnation. If you are in Christ, the wrath of God is removed. But do you remember the other thing that we talked about last week? The other thing that we talked about last week is that if you are a believer, that what you can believe and what you need to believe is that right now. If you are in Christ right now, as you sit. With whatever thoughts or sins or struggles that you have had. A minute ago, last night, this morning, that right now, if you are in Christ, there's no condemnation. And then Paul jumps into. Paul jumps into for there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. And so the first thing that I want you to see this morning is that God desires that you be set free. And the power of the Holy Spirit in our life sets us free. And so that's the first thing that I want to briefly show you. And and then secondly, what I want to show you is what it sets us free from and what it is that sets us free from that. So let's look at verse two. And I spent a lot of time on this. And you may say, Lewis, that was really simple. But uh, I just thought and thought and thought. There's so many avenues here and red and red and red. And so uh, I hope this is helpful to you. But what you have to see as you're looking at verse two is that there's Paul is as he's laying this out, that he's paralleling two things. So look at the text. He's paralleling on one hand, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus and the law of sin And death. And so I want to first, as we're jumping into this, define what these two laws are. And the first thing that I want you to know and to understand is what does Paul mean when he talks about the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus? And I think the simplest way to put this is that what Paul is talking about in the life of a believer is the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And this is all throughout the scriptures. In fact, it starts in Ezekiel. This is one of the places in the Old Testament that it talks about that. The other is Jeremiah. But in Ezekiel uh, chapter 11, verses 19 through 20, listen to this. And I will give them one heart. Here's the key. I will put a new spirit within them and I will take the heart of stone out of their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. And they may walk in my statutes and keep my ordinances and do them. They will be my people and I will be their God. Ezekiel, um, like Jeremiah, was prophesying of a time in the future when something would happen in the lives of believers and there would be a spirit put in them that would cause them to walk in obedience, which means would cause them to overcome indwelling sin in their lives. And Jesus also spoke of this, didn't he? And we see the clearest picture of this in John chapter 14 and 16. Let me just read a couple of verses to you. In John chapter 14, verses 16 and 17, Jesus says, I will ask the Father and he'll give you another helper and he may be with you forever. That is, listen to this, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. But you know him because he abides and you will be with you. 
And then in verse 26 of this same chapter, he says, but my helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. And listen to this. And he'll bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. And then later in chapter 16, verses 13 through 15, he says, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he'll speak and he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me for he'll take what's mine and disclose it to you. All things that my father that 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 the father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he takes of mine and he will disclose it to you. And so when Paul here is talking about the spirit of life, he is talking about the promised Holy Spirit that when Jesus was resurrected and at Pentecost, the spirit came down and the spirit since then has indwelt every believer that this spirit, this spirit of life guides us and directs us into truth. And in many ways, and this is something that I really want you to take note of. And it might be in all ways, I just haven't had maybe enough time to make an absolute claim here. In many ways, the role of the Holy Spirit is to guide us into truth. And you may say, what truth? And that is the truth of what God says about you. And and last week, we talked about talking to ourselves a little bit, didn't we? And last week that I I told you that any voice... (laughs) That, that told you to earn favor with God that you had to work or that you had to do or that you had to accomplish was not from the Lord. The Holy Spirit's job and, 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 and where it empowers us and where it gives us life is to lead us into this truth that if you are in Christ, you are sons and daughters of God. And that He loves you, He has forgiven you, and that he will preserve you. And that is powerful. On the other hand, we have here the contrast, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. We have the law, what we've been set, what this does, what this, what the Holy Spirit sets us free from is the law of sin and death. Now, I, I think If you just open up to Romans chapter eight and you start reading, I think there's a temptation here that is wrong. The wrong temptation is to look at this, the law, um, the the law of sin and death, to think of that as the Mosaic law. The law given uh, uh, to Moses. Now, certainly, certainly we have seen throughout the text that the law can't save and that the law exposes sin. And so certainly we see that. But. I think as you see and as you read chapter seven with chapter eight, I think when he's talking about the law of sin and death, he's talking about something quite differently here. He's not just talking about the Mosaic law. It's much broader. He's talking about a power. Let's read 723 again. Listen to this. You'll hear it. But I see a different law. Notice this can't be the Mosaic law, but I see a different law in the members of my body waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner 
of, look, the law of sin, which is in my members. And so what I think Paul is referring to is that the law here, he's using this language, the law of sin and death is that force inside of us, the, the indwelling sin inside of us that is pushing us and is tempting us to go a different way other than where we know what the Bible tells us, what the law of life tells us to go. And I thought of, as as I often do, well, let me say this first. I think if we sit and think about this, we all understand this. Don't we? Don't we all understand the indwelling sin in our life and the power that that can have and the and the, the drift or the pull of sin in our life, the thing that Paul's talking about that he hates. If we're really honest with ourselves, we can feel that. Now I'm going to give you my dumb example. I played football in high school. But I'm not a high school football player anymore. I like to think that if I, if I got out there with these young whippersnappers that I could still handle business, but I realized that I would probably uh, break bones or would have bones broken. So here's the funny thing. So one of the one of the things I love doing is I love coaching uh, flag football up here. And so um, uh, in, in, in any season, have several teams because uh, I just love being able to be with my boys and other boys and, and girls and coach and that sort of thing. And you know what? So what happens in flag football is you're actually on the field. So as coaches, we're on the field and we've got to back up as the play goes on. I'm ashamed to admit this. And, I, you know, maybe there are two other people who coach in here. And so maybe they can say, no, Lewis, I, that happens to me, too. But one of the things that happens to me is that I'm sitting there coaching. And here a, a six or seven year old gets around all our players and is taken off for the touchdown. And you know what? There's an impulse in me to do. Yeah, it's that bad. Go get him. I don't know if you saw the video of the... the uh, did any of you see the video of the basketball coach? And he was coaching a little basketball team. And he kind of went psycho and left the bench. And the, guy, the little kid was going to shoot a layup. And he like blocked it. And uh, the reason I think I relate that is that that's a, that's a good example for me of that there's this impulse in me and what I have to remind myself, and thankfully I, I have not uh, shown my rear end and tackled any six-year-olds yet. Watch out, Mac. <laughs> but what it shows is there's this impulse in me. And the impulse comes from something that's part of my old nature that's not who I am anymore. That for years I was trained in athletics to act and to react in certain ways. And so now when I'm on that playing field, there's some of that stuff creeps back up. But I'm not that anymore. And thankfully, I'm able to self-regulate and to remind myself, you're not a player. You're just the coach. And in many ways, I think this is a good example of the way that the law. The law of sin and death works in us is that it tempts us into those old sinful patterns. And what we're going to see is that the law of spirit and life in Christ Jesus, it has set us free from that. 
And one of the ways it has set us free from that is that it reminds us of that that's not who you are anymore. That power within us has been broken. Now, I want to talk. And, and so what, what we will do over the next couple of weeks is see several principles of, of how the Holy Spirit helps us in our battle for sanctification. And, and Paul kind of unfolds this throughout this chapter. And so today we're only going to get through one principle. And here's the first principle that I want you to know. That the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, one of the ways that it, it moves and directs us um, into where we need to go is that it. The principle is you must know who or what has set you free. You must know who or what has set you free. Now, I, I want to quickly lay out a couple of things. And, and the first one uh, I gleaned from uh, 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 reading this uh, uh, thing from John Piper and. He talks about in talking about this verse, talks about the first word in verse three uh, or verse uh, two, which is four. And when he talks about this word for, there's two ways to interpret this for. OK, and, and I think it's important. So there's two options here. One is that we can interpret this as as causal uh, or, or the other we can interpret it as, as evidence. And so here's how this would work. If we interpret it as causal, it would be this. That there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because we are free from the law of sin and death. Meaning that because of our sanctification, our sanctification, because we are sanctified, because we are becoming more holy, that that means we're out from under condemnation. You understand that? That's causal. And I think that we reject this for the second one. And I think it's important. Applied all throughout this text, and especially as we go throughout the book of, of or the chapter of Romans chapter eight, is that it's not causal, but it's evidence. And that would work like this, that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And the evidence of that, the evidence of that is the spirit's work in you. The evidence of that is the spirit's work in you. So our sanctification is evidence Evidence that there's no condemnation. So you are free. And I think this is important, especially when we look at these verses and we look at chapter seven. What was the word that we said was over 20 times in chapter seven? I. What was the word that was 20 times in chapter eight? The Holy Spirit. I think it's evident that when we look and when we are thinking about this and thinking about this principle of you must know who or what has set you free, that the answer of what has not set you free is you or me or I. The second thing that Paul brings us to that he wants us to know that does not set us free is found in verse three for what the law and here he is talking about the Mosaic law for the for what the law could not do. The law cannot set you free. You working harder, you becoming a better person, you becoming a better Christian cannot set you free. Teenagers, and there's a whole host of girls. Normally there's these boys over here. These girls over here. You all need to know. Kids, you need to know. Learn this early. 
the law cannot and will not set you free. And it's not because the law is bad. Look at the verse. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh. Meaning that you and I, our flesh is weak and we cannot fulfill the law and the law will never set us free. It doesn't save us and it doesn't sanctify us. So the question comes, what has set us free? And these words just leap off the page to me. I love this. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did. So God has set us free. Look in verse 2. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, the spirit has set us free. And how? How did God do this? We just keep reading. We just keep reading. God did sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Now, there's a couple things that you need to see here. Extremely important. And I'm going to bring you to why. So what we see is that God did it. God's the one who sets us free. The Holy Spirit sets us free. And this happens through Jesus. And so we can see why or how is it through Jesus. And Paul walks as he's pinning this. He walks a a, a literary tightrope here. So I want you to notice what's said. And then I want to tell you what is not said. He did this by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And those words, Paul is being very precise here, and these words are very important, and I want you to see why. So in the likeness of sinful flesh, he did not say in sinful flesh. He said in the likeness of sinful flesh. If he would have said in sinful flesh, then what this would have meant is that Jesus became a sinner. And it means that Jesus would not have been the sinless sacrifice. And so it means that Jesus could not have atoned for our sins because it took a perfect, sinless Savior. Perfect, sinless sacrifice. Notice what he also didn't say. He also didn't say this. He also didn't say sending Jesus in the likeness of flesh. If he would have said this, this would have denied the humanity of Jesus. That not only did we need a sinless savior, but we needed a human sinless savior. And the reason for this is just mind blowing. The reason for this and the point of this is because God has transferred our guilt and our punishment on this sinless savior. And that God has transferred the righteousness of this sinless savior, this perfect obedience on To us. So that when we ask the question. Who or what. Who or what. Is sanctifying us. It is God. Through the work of the Holy Spirit. By sending Jesus. And the Holy Spirit reminds us. The work of the Holy Spirit there is reminding us. Who we are. Is guiding us into who we are. And so this is this first principle that the Holy Spirit guides us in is reminding us who and what has set us free. And so what I want you to just 
think about for a moment this morning is just the folly and utter nonsense of self-help Christianity. You see, I think a lot of times we talk in terms of salvation. That the point of salvation is that we need a savior that we can't save ourselves. But many times in the Christian life and many times in my own life. I I get this attitude. I know God saved me this way, but he's making me holy by, you know, he wants me to pull myself up by my own bootstraps. Or he wants me to become a better version of who I am. You know the problem with a better version of who you are? It's still you. And the indwelling sin still remains. There is nothing that you or I can do to overcome that. So there is just a folly in this whole idea of self-help. And you say, well, Lewis, then how do you apply this? How can this help us this morning? And what I would say is, is, is this. The, the, the one word answer that I would give you is worship. So that when when you are tempted, when you feel the power of that indwelling sin and when that when the law of sin and death is, is tugging at your soul and is tugging at you to to go in this other direction and to 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 give in to that sin nature what you do, and you, you know, I'm, I'm big on this. We talk to ourselves here. We should be talking to ourselves here. Is that we say, no, God did it. God did it through Jesus. I don't have to go there. And I'm going to give you a, a personal example as we close this morning. Um, before, uh, uh, I, I'm tempted, I won't share the whole testimony. Um, but part of part of my past is a drinking problem. And so what happens is that it, it's really weird. Uh, so so it's just not good for me to to drink, you know, because I, I pretty much know how that would end up uh, and uh, it's not good. So, you know, don't as a joke, put something in my drink uh, that would be bad for my family. And so part of that passage, so what's funny is, and it's not all the time, but there are times when I will be at the gas station, you know, going to get a diet Pepsi or whatever it is uh, that, you know, that uh, that I'm looking to drink, and I'll see the beer section. And there's something in me that's like, oh, you know, Lewis, you can go back on that playground. You can get back there. And so one of the things that I do right there in the middle of the gas station is I worship. And I think this is the work of the Holy Spirit in my life. Now, it doesn't mean that I break out in song. But what I mean by worship is I think about the Holy Spirit guides me and I think about I let my mind be informed. God overcame this in your life. And there's three aspects of this that, that the Holy Spirit reminds me of and guides me to in this truth. Number one is this, that God has saved me from all of my past sins. Number two, that my future is secure in Christ. And that number three, at present, he is working for me and with me 
in overcoming and conquering sin. And so right there in the middle of the gas station, I can be thankful and worship that I do not have to give in to what would be for me a sin because of what God has done and what the Holy Spirit is doing in me. And so the first principle that we need to know about the work of the Holy Spirit in your life, in sanctifying you, is that the Holy Spirit is wanting to remind you over and over and over again who it is that is saving you, who it is that is sanctifying you, and who it is that has the power to aid in you overcoming the sin in your life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I pray, Lord, that your spirit would just come alive to all of us this morning. God, I am very aware uh, that as we talk about the Holy Spirit and his work in our lives, that God, sometimes we get a little freaked out. Sometimes we get a little worried about what's going to happen next. Will the person next to me start jumping up and down? Or... And God, we just want... God, it's, it's my prayer through this study of the book of Romans and through this chapter, chapter 8, that God, that we gain supreme confidence in the work of Your Spirit in our lives. And God, I pray that this first principle that You've given us through your servant Paul. That the Spirit's work in our life is to guide us. And the Spirit's work in overcoming indwelling sin. The Spirit's work in our sanctification is to remind us. That it is you. Who has set us free. And it is you. Who is bidding us. To continue in this life of freedom. To not be in bondage to the sin that remains. And God we know that it is only there. It is only there that we can be victorious in the Christian life. It's only there that we can become more and more like your son. So God I pray this morning. God I pray this morning that your spirit. Would illuminate us and would guide us. Into the truth of your word. And what your word says about us. God, all of this is only possible through your son Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.